You're listening to Growing America's podcast, Conversations with a Farmer. Today's episode is The Tough Don't Quit. Chad here, and I'm with someone that I've respected for many, many years, Tommy Dollar. He's been farming since they've been giving farmland away way back in the 80s, and uh, he's a pillar of the agribusiness community in the Southeast. A lot of folks know Tommy. They know what he's accomplished throughout his life and what he's built. Tommy and I were having a conversation last week and probably even the week before that uh, about basically the economy of farming right now and where things stand today. And, and what he thinks the next few years look like. For me, it seems like there's some cause to be concerned. And if you listened to the podcast last week, you know that. But we really want to focus on moving forward and not focus on the negative things. So so I'm here with Tommy today. But let's, let's kind of start at the beginning, the conversations that we had. And that's that things kind of look like they did in the late 70s. A lot like the late 70s. I, I started driving a truck for Diddy in 1976 and was driving a truck all during 77, the drought of 77, and remember it vividly, but I wasn't, I was working for Dollar Farm Products and Diddy and enjoying truck driving, and, but remember dry, being dry, and then it evolved into farmer strikes in 77, 78, 79, and then I remember vividly the concern that Diddy had trying to borrow money when interest rates were 18 percent and farmers trying to borrow money and farm and they're having to pay 19 20 percent interest on the money and that to us today that seems unfoundable but it's it's it was a real deal and so you see things changing and in, in in, we didn't have a drought in in 17 i would just use 17 as 1977 2017 but we had a hurricane irma and, you know, I'm speaking from experience in my neck of the woods. I'm not talking about, you know, I don't, I can't speak for Midwest. I can't speak for Texas. I know they have their own problems, but ours, you know, have been compounding, you know, and it's just a lot of change since 2010, so to speak. And we've gone through good dry years, and then we've gone through Hurricane Ehrman, Hurricane Michael, Hurricane Sally. And then, then you exploded on the scene with a lot higher fertilizer prices, Russia war with Ukraine and, and issues of more technology and, and higher equipment cost and higher labor cost and higher insurance cost. And it's putting a squeeze on a lot of people in Southwest Georgia. And it, it has happened such at a rapid pace. It's hard on farmers. It's been hard on, on me and my son on the farm. And, and I see it as a hindrance that may may or could get worse, but I'm not a doomsdayer. I, I'm a pro-farm guy born and raised in farm supply business and around agriculture, and they're some of my best friends. So I want to, it's a, it's a tricky situation to me to discuss 
without being negative. And and I'm I think that when me and you got to talking the other day, it was more about how we could be a positive out of the negative that's going on. And and I think what needs to be brought out is what can be done, who can we educate, who can we inform that can help not let this turn into a free-for-all like it was in 1980, 81, 82, and 83 with all the bankruptcies. And I think that, you know, at this stage of life, being able to teach young farmers or being, whether it's on some of the other or some of the other committees and I'm on on different boards, educate the ones that come in and don't understand, you know, profit and loss statements and don't understand the cost of what it, of a GPS that you didn't have to worry about 15 years ago or the cost of a pickup truck that's, you know, gone from $25,000, now it's $75,000 for a pickup truck or a, a cotton picker that's gone from 400000 to 900000 in five, six years. All these costs have gone up dramatically, but we're still basing all the governmental support off of 15-year-old data, reference price. You'll hear that word, reference price. All these reference prices. What is, what is a reference price? Well, there's reference prices, what the government does for a loan rate for a, a, a ton of peanuts or a bushel of corn or a pound of cotton or and then seed cotton, and that's the reference price that, that you know they can put in a government loan. And then they have target prices, which is what that price would be to make a profit. Those, they are, you know, they're 15, 20 cent higher or 10 or 15 cents a bushel or $100 a ton, I'd have to get the exact numbers. I'm not, I am not. don't have them in my brain right this second. But we've outpaced that, and so there's no government help, even and there was, which is designed to be like that. When prices are high than they have traditionally been, you don't get a government subsidy. But what has happened is the cost of doing business, the cost of growing that crop per acre has far exceeded what the price has gone up. You, you know, you see crops costing two and three hundred more dollars an acre than they did just five years ago. And, you know, it's not under the farmer's control. He can't control what he pays for his fertilizer. He can't control what he's going to sell that bushel of corn for, or that ton of peanut. He can't control that a new technology fee is coming down the pipe from a cottonseed company or a corn seed corn company, or that, you know, price of equipment has gone up because that that company's got stockholders they're trying to please and their cost of goods has gone up dramatically. The farmer's caught in a squeeze and people hear about the squeeze, but they, they don't have the number. Well, I have had the data to know what that number is because of the way my son and my secretaries have kept it up per crop, per year, per farm, and we've outpaced the cost of production has outpaced the selling price the last several years, and it's put a hardship, and it's, it's going to continue that. And we just bring, got to bring it to light. And I think that's what me and you want to do is make sure that we tell the story in a positive way that says farmers are always going to grumble and gripe. It's either too wet or too cold or too hot or too dry. It's never just right, but right now the cost of production has gotten way out of kilter compared to what they're selling the crops for, even with government help. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about government help, just to be clear, because, you know, a lot of folks aren't tied to agriculture and they may not understand. We get a lot of comments from folks that I would say are probably removed from from farming, just saying that farmers are just welfare farmers, that they're making money off the government. That's that's not really the case. Can you explain that a little bit so we're all clear 
Well, you know, I'll, a farmer, he, he buys his fertilizer from, buys at retail, and he sells his crop at a wholesale price back, and he's at the bottom end of the food chain. He can't control what he wants to sell his crop for to offset his costs. Every other business, whether I was in the fertilizer business or whether I'm in an automobile business, if we, if we need to make, if we need to make on a pickup truck, we mark it up $150. If, if the cost goes up, it goes up accordingly. And so the farmer can't do that. I, I had a close friend that, you know, wanted to get in the cow business and he's in the restaurant business. He said, well, just, you know, if you're not making the money, just raise the price of what you're selling your cows for. You can, if you're selling retail straight to a restaurant, but you can't do it wholesale if you're selling it to a feedlot slash slaughterhouse that sells to the restaurant. I mean, it, it's it, it's hard to fathom, but it's a true fact. And, and and the government over the years has realized that we have the cheap one of the cheapest sources of food worldwide, abundant supply of food worldwide, and the only way to keep the masses, the population, from rioting is to keep them fed and clothed. And so the government. Yes, they have to have subsidy, and yes, we have farmed for the government before, but we can't control our costs. We can't control what we sell it for. We just sort of take what is given to us and buy what we need. And I, and, and I can go into detail, but I can get you lost in the weeds because I know every you know everything. What how much it's going to take per acre per this per this per this, and it keeps outpacing what the selling price for is. So ultimately, farm subsidies have been there to cover the difference in cost. Yes. Because you say a farmer buys everything at retail, basically. Yep. And they sell everything at wholesale. Right. And those those prices don't really balance. Yep. And so there are years where the prices that they're selling wholesale are lower than than what they actually what it actually costs them to grow something. Exactly. It's happened to me several years. And so the government steps in and says, "Okay, you actually lost money." growing food, but the American people have to eat, right? We have to have clothes. We have to have these things. So we're going to cover the difference to make sure everyone in America has their basic necessities met. That's the easiest way to understand it for the, in layman terms. And, you know, and it's, we'd, we'd rather get a higher price, a farmer, when I say we, a farmer would rather not have to rely on that. But, you know, we have to have disaster payments sometimes, Hurricane Michael. We got some money to help with Hurricane Michael when it came through, but we weren't made whole. We still lost 30, 40% on a lot of the crops. And you had you had 60% coverage on insurance. You got a little bit of money from disaster, but you know it wasn't enough to cover it all. Well, you say, well, you survive one. Well, that happened in 17 with Irma. Then you had 18 with Michael. It was a total loss. Then you had, sadly, and a lot of rain year after that and so the you know the weather these weather patterns you know and or you have a hailstorm that's not completely covered or just like we came through in the last 60 days it's right wet today but all of August and September and October we had a record picking time for cotton and peanuts because it didn't rain for 60 something days and if you had dry land crops those took a significant hit in yield and because of the stress the peanuts a lot of peanuts had aflatoxin because of the stress, because of hot, dry weather, so it's it's way out of control. It's way out of the farmer's control, controlling his input cost, his selling cost, and then the worst thing of all is weather. And, and I eat, live, and breathe. You know, as my daughter calls me, Daddy Doppler. As much as I'm involved with agriculture over the years, trying to you know predict when a hurricane's coming, 
try to get an extra day or so picking, try to figure out when the El Nino is going to come so we know when to do this or know to do that or get the soybean crop out because it's going to rain every five days. We're in a pattern now. We're going to be every five to seven days, it looks like. All right. So talking about all that, I wonder what the understanding is among the general population of those that are removed from agriculture, right, where their food comes from. I mean, I've, I've heard the question asked. I've seen it. Why do we need farmers? And that's a real basic question, right? But if they can't stay in business, then let them go out of business. Just get fruit from somewhere else. We just buy it from Publix or Winn-Dixie. I've heard that before. I know. So I, I know. I know. So have I. But the reality is we're not going to get it from Publix or Winn-Dixie. What happens if farmers actually go out of business? If all the farmers just stop growing food today? Well, it's going to, it affects, all right, well, let's, here's a, let me just use this example. When I built Decatur Gin in Bainbridge, and, and then we was a big part of Miller County Gin and Coquit, the feasibility studies that people were done, it said for every dollar that I wrote a check to a producer, turned seven times inside that county. So that was in 1988, 19, 1994. So that's been a long time ago. I probably for every dollar now, it's probably because $10 in turn, and a fella or a, a person asked this question said, I don't understand that. Well, that farmer's going to buy a tractor. That farmer's going to, wife's going to buy groceries and clothes, going to send them to school and buy school supplies. They're going to buy a pickup truck. They're going to go out to the movie. They're going to, you know, go up to town and, and buy supper because they was up there at Christmas parade. That money just keeps turning. And each one of those people, in the years that you've seen real bad years, and, and I've seen this in adjoining counties, not as much here, but we've got a lot more infrastructure and, and industry in Decatur County than some adjoining counties that we're a little bit more fortunate. But when you see the farmers in a direct hit, you see it in the stores, you hear it in the stores, you hear it, the contributions that church are down. Everything slides with that economy. And you know, you're saying Georgia's are gonna be is a $72 billion came this came out of Tyler Harper, Commissioner Tyler Harper's office the other day. Georgia's a $72 billion business in Georgia. It all starts on the farm. And he buying groceries, buying, buying fertilizer, buying chemicals, buying equipment, and then passing it through, and then that, the crew who's shelling the peanuts. We got 240 people employed at American Peanut Growers Group shelling peanuts in Donaldsville, Georgia. We're the biggest employer in Donaldsville, Georgia. When I was at DFP, we had 35, 40 employees that supported directly FRM. You know, all these industries that are support these farmers, all those people are turning money. So we know the farmer is important, right? I mean, you and I know that. Farmers know that. Most of the country knows that. So let's talk for just a second about kind of where most farmers are today. You know, what they're actually dealing with. Things are moving so fast and things have gotten so out of kilter. A lot of them don't, haven't known they, they, to, to how, to, how can we help ourselves. Get your actual data. Y'all band together. Not going on strike, but we need to. You need to have National Cotton Council involved. You need to have National Peanut Council involved, or Peanut Georgia Peanut Commission. Georgia Peanut Commission's got the numbers. Me and Andy Bell talked about this yesterday, of what it costs per acre to do a peanut. The National Cotton Council does it nationwide, and it's different in different areas. Those people need to be able to say it's gone up X. It ain't. It, it ain't going up percentage, it's going up X, because X means a lot more than a percentage. Yep. Is there a way 
Well, let me word it like this, because I don't think it's something anyone wants to do, but is there a way that farmers could get together and control the pricing? Just saying, hey, look, we're just not going to grow food. We're not going to we're not going to sell food or materials to make clothing and the other basic necessities we need in life until prices go up. There's not a think tank. And I want to say a think tank. Garrett's in a top 20 group. And you say, what's a top 20? A top 20 is 20 handpicked dealers that they pick Garrett this all over the east from Mississippi East. And they, they, it takes us two days just to get a comparison to turn in to the 20 group. And they, they go once every quarter and look at everybody's stuff and say, this is where you're not doing good. This, there's no type, and it was, it was like that in the cotton gin business. It was like that in the ethanol business. It's like that in the car dealership business. Everybody's too proud if they, you know, they don't want to hear or don't want nobody to see their numbers. And they just say, well, my price is up too. You don't ever hear nobody how much is up per acre. They just say it's up or it's up a percentage. Let's take a, a step back for just a minute and let's talk about the farm strike a little bit more. Why did it not accomplish its goals? According to the book that Lee talked about, and then I lived it, and Daddy was a politician at the same time. All right, the book is The Farm Strike by Lee Lancaster, right? Correct. Lee Lancaster wrote the book, and I, and, it, and I didn't know I was going to learn as much as I did from the book, so I've, I've read it, and I've already shown it to several people, and I've ordered more books on Lee's behalf. You know, and so, Daddy was a mayor of Bainbridge along that time, and he'd been a state representative, so he was not interested in their way to get attention, which was blocking railroad tracks, driving tractors on highways and all that, which was, it made a good statement and it, and it was a good feature and it did work a lot of ways. You still had to go talk to the politicians and tell them what you needed, how you needed it and why you needed it and substantiate why you needed it. And at that time, I don't think, you know, it was, that was getting passed on to, to, to the political powers to be. What they did was great. What they did was brought attention. But you to get something changed, you know, and I hate to say it like this, you go to go talk to everybody up there in Washington and you gotta be consistent with your story and talk with facts and figures and, and let them learn what you know so they can take it to their, most of the time, like we, we talked earlier, it's the aides, it's the, it's the people you're communicating with. You may meet the senator or the congressman uh, but they've got so much going on, you've got to put it in front of the right person that they can right. understand it in print and take it and read it out loud in front of the House or the Senate. So no matter how much emotion gets involved, right? I mean, emotion makes a good news story, but that's not going to have that long-lasting impact. I mean, you know, it, the, the, there needs to be some emotion. You know, you can get up in a church and it'll be a dull pastor and, and he, he won't get his point across, but you can have a vibrant preacher and he may shout every once in a while and stomp his foot and holy roller for a few minutes and you'll listen a little bit. So it's good, but you got to be able to substantiate and you got to be able to be consistent in your, in your delivery of your message. You know, there's, there's always that conversation going around like the, you know, that group of guys that says, if we could just get together and hold out and not sell, that would make the prices go up. What are your thoughts on that? What's the reality of that actually happening? It's hard to talk everybody into, can you get everybody to go to the likes baseball 
Want to go to a, a, a basketball game? Everybody wants. Everybody was at loves football. They want to go play golf. You're not going to get everybody 100% of the time participate in what you believe is a great thing. So there's going to be one fella says, "Well, if they're doing this, I'm going to do this," and 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 with that type process, it is doomed. But but you know. That's the first thing I say, let's just not sell anything. But you can't not sell anything. You've got to have a way to continue to live, you know, and you've got to have a continued way to pay your bills, your bills on a monthly basis. And, and that's, you know, farming is a yearly business, and so if you stop, you've got to stop for a full year. Well, a business that's selling groceries, or, you know, could stop for a week or two, but it just... It, in concept, it, it, it sounds great, but it's hard to put in into existence. My wife and I, and I, and I'm sure we're not the only ones, but there's just two of us making these decisions, right, in our in our personal life, and we can't even decide where to go to dinner. I mean, we can't get along on just that one decision every day. Uh, I can't imagine having farmers spread out across regions and states and go, "Hey, let's all band together here." There's no way you could just all get together and say, we're going to hold out until this crisis is over with. Yeah. I mean, you just take the state of Georgia, how much more diversity there is down here with irrigation compared to Plains or compared to Midville, Georgia. There's just a difference in thought process, you know, and, and difference in climate, different in commodities, difference in cost structure. Their cost structure may be more or it may be less. So it just depends on a lot of different ideas. Is there a way to move everybody the same direction, maybe without everybody even knowing they're doing it, right? How do we, how do we encourage each other and encourage other farmers and ranchers? How do we just say, hey, respect yourself a little bit more. And I know everybody's got to pay their bills, but how do we take some of that control back? Farm Bureau. I, I, I'm not an active Farm Bureau member, but I, I, I know a lot of them. We talked about at a water meeting today, was talking about Farm Bureau, Tom McCall, Chairman Tom McCall, and he's been a state representative, or Georgia Peanut Commission, Georgia Cotton Commission. You know, use these groups that are united representing that geographical area, but Farm Bureau represents all of all the above, and and they're well respected in Atlanta and in Washington D.C. So there's you, there's one of your best united fronts to do is is that type of situation is what I I believe. So we can look back 40 years and kind of see where we were, right? What happened and what the results of that were, which were basically not achieving the goals that were set out, the one goal, parity. But where are we today? We're looking at the cliff. We can see how close the cliff is. We just ain't stepped off on it yet, but it's looming out there and we're, we're not in the valley. We're looking at the cliff and we can step off a cliff if we're not careful and we don't let our political leaders know where we are. And business leaders, I mean, the farmers, are, cons are always, uh, you know, I'm a farmer. I don't want everybody to know all my business. And so, I, you know, you don't want your banker to know all your business, so to speak. If you're having a bad year, your banker's the last person you want to tell. So you, you're sort of shy about saying, man, it's rough. Things are bad. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the problem with me today is I, 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 I'm, I'm nervous about saying anything negative because I'm not wanting to be construed as negative. Yeah. I'm wanting to be construed as this is something we need to talk about to, to help this thing from getting any worse than it already is or could get worse than it already is. 
if we're on that cliff, right on the edge of that cliff, what are the steps that farmers can take? How do you get ready for that downturn? If maybe you see it coming, maybe there's some some road signs, hey, things are about to get tough. Maybe you miss the road signs and you're already into a downturn. You know, I'm always hearing that that farming is in cycles, right? Three or four years of good, three or four years of bad. You got to prepare during those good years for the bad years. But I've started hearing something over the last couple of years that as I travel the country and talk to farmers, and that's that where it was three or four years, now I'm hearing seven, 10 years, right? Instead of three or four years. And that seems like that'd be a little more difficult to prepare for. It is. You know, a farmer inherently is conservative in a lot of ways. Uh, a farmer is always, but he's always looking for ways to maximize his production. And, you know, and so he does what he can to keep from spend any money, but he has to spend money. So he's got to look out for what he can do to save money if it's more acres, and but then more acres increase more equipment, more acre, more equipment, more labor. And it, so it's a vicious cycle. And right now I think they're sort of saying, whoa, what do I do next? I, I, what I've been doing the last four or five years ain't been working, and I feel like I'm a little bit worse shape than I was four or five years ago, but I ain't done nothing wrong. This is up, this is up, this is up, and my price is only up just a little bit. I think that what they need to look for is know their numbers, know what their costs are, what they can go to see who's helping them uh, put that crop in the ground and understand it and then get together as a group of farmers and talk to Farm Bureau, Georgia Peanut Commission, Georgia Cotton Commission say, hey, as a collective group, we need some help. And as disorganized as Washington is right now, that's one where it's going to have to come from, whether it's the Republicans in charge, the Democrats in charge, but what it needs to be is be politicians in charge that represent all of us as agricultural people. All right, so let's step back for just a second. Right, we've talked about covering that gap between what it costs to actually produce the crop and what it's sold for, right? The subsidies out there. And then, so I want to talk about that for a second more. The cost to produce something has increased significantly, but the amount the farmers make off of it hasn't really increased, right? So the numbers that they're referencing to make those payments are old, old numbers. Are old, 15-year, 10, 15-year-old numbers are a lot of, in a lot of cases, some, some 8, 10 years old. There was a news story that came out during this past Christmas season that, that kind of how everybody shopped when they watched how much things cost when Home Alone came out. So they watched Kevin and Home Alone buying his gro groceries. And this was from the story. It was like 19 or 20 years ago. He had a, a shopping cart halfway filled, right? And he, and he bought the whole thing for $19. Right. And so it's kind of that same way for a farmer today. He's got all these extra costs, but nobody's went back and adjusted those numbers to show what the actual costs are. So those, those subsidies that farmers are getting aren't even actually covering the cost of what they're producing. Mm -mm. The cost of producing has gone up so fast in the last five years, it was inevitable this was going to happen. I mean, because you know, if you're Publix or Winn-Dixie or Walmart or wherever, their buyer's job is to buy produce and meats and cereal just as cheap as he can every day and so his job is to purchase it and, and make Publix and Winn-Dixie and Walmart money 
so he may push that, he may balk at trying to price that. It, it, but a farmer, he's just having to take what that buyer will buy it for. He can't, well, I need to get two more dollars a bushel, or I need to get 15 more cents a pound for cotton. He, he can't do that. It's just based off what the market is. When you think about grocery store prices and how fast and how high they've shot up, like I think most consumers would go, well, okay. I mean, prices are up. The farmer's being taken care of. He's getting his his increase, right? He's getting his piece of the pie. But I don't think those numbers have actually changed for the farmer. I think they're still getting what they were getting, almost what they were getting back in the 70s and 80s. Those prices haven't changed. Well, they have gone up some. Let's just, I said I didn't like percentages, but let's just say that the cost of production has gone up 15, 20%. The cost of sim selling products only gone up 8%. So he's, the cost has gone up faster than the target price or whatever he's been able to go up to that amount. All right, so with all of that in mind, number one, the farmer has to know their numbers. Yes. Number two is they have to get organized. Yes. And they have to take that emotion that information and that emotion and tell that story. Cause every farmer's heard, we've got to tell our story. There's value in that. You know, I was sitting with the commissioner of ag, the, the past commissioner of ag in Georgia in his office one day. And, and he said, Chad, do you know the first time I heard that line about, about we have to tell our story? It was when he was in an FFA in high school back 75, 76, 77. Yep, he heard that back in, in the mid-70s. And, and we still hear that today. Like the solution, a lot of this is farmers just need to go tell their stories. But there's more to it than just them trying to tell their stories. They need the data. They need to organize. They need to take that information to the associations and the organizations that they're working with. Well, how do you know if those associations you're a part of, right, that you're pouring into or actually doing this work for you. There should be, there are board members of each of each group and those board members should be made up of the people that you're representing. And that, and so if you feel like there's not being done, you need to talk to your board members that control those organizations. They are board members, I know for Cotton Board, Peanut Board, or Peanut Commission, Cotton Commission, and for Farm Bureau. So know who those people are and, uh, and so you can communicate your individual reference and data to them so it can pass on up the line in a uniform manner. Why is that important? Consistency. This has got to be a consistent story. It can't be one fellow telling one story ten, and have ten different stories going to Washington or Atlanta. If it's not consistent, it'll be disregarded. It's got to be a unified, consistent story. The first time that I went to Washington with a group of farmers, we were standing in a senator's office. And of course, you hardly ever get to talk to the senator, right, in detail or in depth. His aide was standing there. And this was before iPhones. He probably had a Blackberry or something, and he was just texting constantly. And there was a farmer there that had written all of his numbers down on a, on a legal pad in blue ink. And he's going line by line on his cost, right? Hey, this is what my cotton picker costs, and this is what my inputs cost. And he's just, I mean, in, in great detail going through all the costs. And the aide was responding to an email or something. And the farmer just grabbed the aide by the arm and he said, Hey, man, this is my life. You know, this is, this is my family. You need to pay attention to me right now. Not your phone. And, but in that office that day, he had his data, he had his information, 
he had his emotion. He was dealing with an organization that got him into the senator's office so he could share a story. Which is great, but then that needs to be a unified group of, and that's why I said the associations. Right. They, they, they have a good idea. Georgia cotton producers may have a better number than Alabama producers, or Georgia Farm Bureau has more cattle farmers than somewhere else, but they, they're well respected. And, they, and, and I know a lot of the lobbyists that I met over the years, they just need to be consistent in that. But that data is what needs to be shared. And if, you know, it's a shame that that one aid wasn't, but you know, you won't have that with any office with anything. But it's a good story. I mean, it's a, it proves a point. All right, so we have step one. We have step two. Is there a step three? What else can farmers do to make a difference? Keep telling the story. I mean, you know, don't get mad and, and don't and be conservative because everything we've done in agricultural cycles, and we're seeing a, basically a 40-year cycle. We see hurricanes every so many years, except we saw more in the last four or five years than normal. But just be consistent and, and rely on your associations to help you. Is there anything out there right now? Do you have Spidey sensors? You know Spider-Man has. He just knows when something's going on. There's a crime being committed. Can you pick up on anything out there just because you have that much experience now? Is there something that should be going off in a farmer's head right now saying something's not going right? So what, are the, what are the warning signs that they need to pay attention to? If you're in agriculture and you're a farmer and you look at where we're at right now and, and, and I hear it on a daily basis, You've got those spider senses. The far, if you're farming in this day and time, you're worried. You're not sleeping at night, and we, you know, that's. And I hear that more than I've heard in several years. I heard the only time I've heard it more in my career was one week after Hurricane. I had people come in. I had retired people come in. What we're going to do? I had. Farmers that's been farming their whole life. I, I've lost my barns. I've lost this. What we're going to do? And you're seeing it and hearing it from people that you know, say, "Well, I wish you was around. We got to figure out what we're going to do." I, you know, I, I'm around, but I'm just here at a different level. But it's almost that urgency that I heard ten days after Hurricane Michael. And I mean, it was a revolving door coming into office and. And I finally called Dean Burke, which was my senator at the time. I said, we've got to do something. He said, I hear it every day. So we, we, he started putting together, made the plea for the grant, disaster grant for through the Georgia Department of Agriculture that was able to get back in. It actually took to about 2019 to get it all together. But we should thank the governor of the state of Georgia, Sonny Perdue. He was uh, secretary of agriculture at the time. They all made it work and that we were consistent in our story. And I told the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny, now Chancellor Sonny, I said, I've got the numbers to show you what you want to do. He said, I may be back in touch with you. Is that why everybody calls you? It seems like anytime anything big comes up, like people call you and say, hey, can you come speak about this or talk to this person? I feel like you're getting that call. Is that because you track your numbers and you know your data? Probably. You know, if you, there's a picture floating around, you know, th that day that we met with President Trump, Gary Black. Gary told me, said, I want you to come to this meeting and just tell me what you know. And 
you know, I, there's a picture of me sitting there and I'm talking with my hands to President Trump and, and it, was a, it was a three or four or five minute conversation but he, he would say, well, what about this? And Gary would ask questions. Gary's in the back. You see Gary talk. And it's, you know, I, once I get on board with something, I sort of make sure I've got my numbers in my brain. But it's, you know, it's what I do in, in trying to have decent numbers or consistent numbers. or You know, and so I, I reckon, I don't know. I just do what I do. See, farming's tough, man. I mean, our, our small little operation in Alabama is, it is a tough deal every day. But the one question that I ask farmers when I sit down and, I, and I'm, I turn the camera on is if it's so tough, if it's as hard as you say it is right now, right, why do you continue to farm? Why do farmers continue to farm? It's a life. It's, a, it's what they've done. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. You know, that's, they, they wake up and they go feed the cows. They you got to get out in the afternoon, they go ride the horse, and, and they work during the day, and they grew up on that farm. They see a sunrise on that farm, they see a sunset on that farm. Their granddaddy did that, you know, and it's it's hard to change something you've done all your life. And I've farmed, in an agri- I've been in agriculture my whole life, but I farm a lot, so I'm not as emotional. I'm emotional to my farmland and my hunting land, but I'm, you know, I, I was working, I was in the agricultural side or agribusiness side of it, so I had diversity in my portfolio, but I see it, the, the pride, I see the the emotion, I see the love that these farmers have for their land and their crops and their family. All right, one last question. Is the American farmer going to make it? The American farmer, because of who he is, the pride he carries, the emotion he carries, the dignity he carries, will make it. It's just going to be tough for a while. Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining us again today. Look forward to seeing you next week. You don't choose this life. This life chooses you. And I'd have to say we're the chosen few. It's all faith and farm. Family and waking up to the American dream. We put the seeds in the grounds and our prayers up high for the beat in our heart.